This episode of Physically Spiritual is an exploration of motherhood. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. So in this week on Physically Spiritual, I'm starting a series on motherhood. About six months ago, I did a series on fatherhood, and after that series, my wife was talking to me, and she said, "She said, well, when is the series on motherhood coming out? My response at the time was, well, I'm not a mother, so I don't feel like I should be talking about motherhood. And she kind of challenged that idea and said, well, you brought these guests on, and, and uh, you know, she was right, as in all things, so here I am. I'm excited for this series, though, because I'm going to have some great guests on in the next few episodes that, that I'm excited to share with you all. So back in that fatherhood series, I focused on three concepts to kind of build out this idea of fatherhood. The first was that the best thing a father has to give to his children is himself. The second, a father calls forth their child's heart by giving them his own heart. And then third, that discipline is not primarily something you do, it's something you are. That all discipline of of children flows from the discipline of the parents. Uh, and, And so I think these concepts were great with the idea of fatherhood, but as I've been reflecting on this theme of motherhood, I really think all of these concepts are transferable. The best thing a mother has to give is herself. A father calls forth her child's heart by giving them her own heart. And then also in motherhood, discipline's not primarily something you do, it's something you are. So I'm going to continue on exploring some of those themes Uh, But for this episode, especially kind of going through some of the church's ideas of motherhood, how God is mother, how the, how Mary is mother, how the church is mother. As we've been uh, parenting our first child over these last couple years, I've noticed uh, just some differences between the way that our son Solanus relates to me compared to my wife, Brittany. There's, there's a way, and and, and this is just my own experience, but I think it's shared by a lot of other people. There's a way that my son rests in and on my wife that he doesn't on me. There's a a familiarity, a comfort, you know, kind of coming out from his experience being in her womb that he now um, sort of rests on her. And this is very practical. There's times literally when she picks him up and puts him on her lap and he rests there. He, it's, it's comfortable. It's familiar. It's a place to be. A mother isn't just, um, Someone, it's somewhere. And a, and a father is, is somehow different, right? There's a way that my son, even when I pick him up and put him on my lap, he wants to get moving with me. He grabs my hand. He pulls me to do something. He wants to be wrestling. He wants to be on adventure together. He wants me to show him the world and he wants to show me his world. Um, and so there's a way that, that my wife is a place where my son rests. And I'm a place where my son goes out to meet the world. And and I don't want to propose this as the universal sort of experience of motherhood and fatherhood in all families, but it's just left me kind of reflecting on the way that my wife and I, in in a real way, fill out the image of God for our son. We're we're both uh, teaching him with the language of our bodies, with the language of our experience, with uh, you know down to the nitty gritty of from my son experiencing my wife's heartbeat in her womb to experiencing our hands holding him to experiencing breastfeeding to experiencing our words, our looks, our touches, that my son is learning about God's parenthood through our parenthood. 
This is what the Catechism says in paragraph 239. It says, By calling God Father, the language of faith indicates two main things, that God is the first origin of everything in transcendent authority, and that he is at the same time goodness and loving care for all his children. God's parental tenderness can also be expressed by the image of motherhood, which emphasizes God's imminence, the intimacy between creator and creature. The language of faith thus draws on human experience of parents, who are in a way the first representatives of God for man. But this experience also tells us that human parents are fallible and can disfigure the face of fatherhood and motherhood. We ought therefore to recall that God transcends the human distinction between the sexes. He is neither man nor woman. He is God. He also transcends human fatherhood and motherhood. Although he is their origin and standard, no one is father as God is father. So what the catechism is saying is that that God's being using this image of parenthood. So by saying God is father and God is mother, our faith is using analogies, meaning there, there are things that we experience, things that we know that point to a deeper reality that transcends our language that escapes our, our full capacity to explain. It's sort of a, an analogy is sort of a, a front porch into a mystery. And, and in that experience of, so the, then the catechism is saying that in this experience of human fatherhood and human motherhood, the child is learning about God's fatherhood and God's motherhood. It's sort of the, the launching plaid, the, the place by which the child enters into the mystery of fatherhood and motherhood. But then also recognizing that human parents are fallible. So we have the power to disfigure the face of motherhood and fatherhood. Uh, so the, the, this is important in a couple different ways. One, God transcends gender. So it would be a, a, a it would be an error, it would be a heresy both to teach that God is just male or God is just female. God transcends gender, and all the goodness of maleness and femaleness is contained in the Godhead. It would also be a heresy to say in, in, in sort of a univocal way, like God is father, as in that's all that God is, that God doesn't transcend fatherhood and motherhood, or the same thing way with God is mother, to, to say that that sort of limits or reduces God to that singular identity. But God transcends fatherhood and motherhood. All of the goodness possible in fatherhood and motherhood is contained in the Godhead. So this begs the question, why does our faith in a special way invite us to call God Father? Why does Jesus give us this concept and give us the prayer of the Our Father and not the prayer Our Mother? And the answer is that although all of the goodness of fatherhood and motherhood are in the Godhead and he, he transcends all of those things, there's a particular way that the image of fatherhood describes God's relationship to his creation in a way that God's motherhood does not. So, so in this way, it, it, as the Catechism says, it indicates two main things, that God's the origin of everything in transcendent authority, and at the same time, goodness and loving care for his children. Right? So there's this way that, that fatherhood strikes a balance, sort of holding in tension God's transcendence and God's imminence, that God is creator, and that being sort of the foundational relationship that God holds all of us in being, that all of our existence depends on God holding our active existence and being, that, that that's sort of a, a, primary, uh, a primary place where we can understand that relationship. And so by, 
by inviting us to call God Father, Jesus is, is inviting us into that mystery. That mystery. And, and God doesn't leave us an orphan or, or as a single parent relationship. So God's description as Father is reciprocal with the church's description as mother. And I'm going to go on to this later in the episode. But to, um, to focus in, in our prayer and our ecclesial action on, on solely on God's motherhood would be in a way to sort of lose the proper understanding of what the church is. So let's dig in a little bit more, and let's first talk in a positive way about how we then describe God's motherhood. The Catechism said, God's paternal tenderness can also be expressed by the image of motherhood, which emphasizes God's imminence, the intimacy between creator and creature. Right? This, this emphasis on imminence, this is what, um, what Isaiah 49, 15 through 16 says. Can a mother forget her infant, be without tenderness for the child in her womb? Even should she forget, I will never forget you. See, upon the palms of my hands, I have engraved you. Your walls are ever before me. So in this description, the prophet is, is sharing God's words to his people, Israel. And he's using this image of motherhood to, to express the, the deepness of God's love, the tenderness of God's love, and, and the idea that God would forget his people. You know, at this time of the prophet Isaiah, the, the people are, are being conquered and sent into exile. There's, uh, the prophet Isaiah's work is kind of split in half that way. And, and there's prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. But in the first half of the prophet Isaiah's work, the people aren't yet conquered. But there's this idea that, the, that in them being conquered by these, this enemy kingdom, and then later on now being in exile, that like has God abandoned them? They, they lost the chosen land. It's like, Lord, where are you? And in the, in the cry of God's heart for his people calling out to them with his love, he's saying, I will never forget you. Right? This is inviting us into a deep mystery, right? That, that God's motherhood and fatherhood isn't there to take all of our pain and suffering away, isn't to take away the difficulty, and especially not to take away the consequences of our own actions. But God's loving fatherhood and motherhood is, is there with us through all the difficulties in life. That the tenderness of the Lord isn't one that's uh, contrary to discipline. The tenderness of the Lord in- includes discipline, right? There's this, this deep mystery of mercy and justice in the Godhead, and, and, it's, and it's also encapsulated in these descriptions of God as Father and God as Mother. In Luke 13, uh, there's this uh, sort of passage about uh, Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem, and this is what he says. How many times have I yearned to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. How many times I have yearned to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Right, there's this, this image of the, the bosom here, of God wanting to, to gather us in. And, and the, the sacramental expression of that, that part of divine reality, of that love of God that wants to gather us in, is expressed sacramentally in the church. So the church is sort of the incarnation of God's motherhood on earth, while Jesus was the incarnation of, of God's fatherhood on earth. Right? So there's this re- reciprocal way in which God's fatherhood and God's motherhood is experienced in what's given to us in the Catholic church. Um, and in that then, 
uh, we, we get into to problems when we sort of mix images or blur the analogies. So this is to say that um, that sometimes there, there have been heresies that have cropped up in this expression of God as mother, and, and especially, you know, we, we use this image of mother for Mother Earth. And an overemphasis of God's imminence leads to pantheism, right? And this is what's in all sort of nature worship or an overemphasis on the image of Mother Earth is these kind of expressions of, of different pantheistic heresies, right? So this is where this, this tension needs to remain between God's transcendence and God's imminence, his fatherhood and his motherhood. There's another beautiful mystery that the church invites us into, and that's also Mary's motherhood. Uh, this idea of Mary's motherhood goes deep into the history of our church. There was a, an, an early debate in, in the church whether or not Jesus or Mary was just Jesus's human nature's mother or whether Mary was all of Jesus's mother. This is what the catechism says. It says, Called in the gospel the mother of Jesus, Mary is exclaimed by Elizabeth as uh, prompted the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and even before the birth of her son as the mother of my Lord. In fact, the one whom she conceived as man by the Holy Spirit, who truly became her son according to the flesh, was none other than the Father's eternal son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Hence the church confesses that Mary is truly mother of God. And it gives a Greek word here, theotokos, which translates as God-bearer. So this idea expressed in the simple syllogism, the first, Jesus is God. The second, Mary is Jesus's mother. Therefore, Mary is the mother of God. Right? What we're claiming here isn't that somehow God the Father came out of Mary's womb or that Mary precedes um, God's existence. But it's the same way, uh, in, in a sense, you might say like the co-eternity and co-equality of the persons of the Trinity Right? So, so fatherhood and, and motherhood are simultaneous. So Jesus, although he is the father's son, he doesn't come before the father and the father doesn't come before him because fatherhood and sonship are simultaneous, um, come into being simultaneously. When the, father, when the son comes into being, the father comes into being. Right? So, so this kind of goes back to that ancient Arian her- heresy that was addressed um, in the council of Nicaea. So in a, in a different way, while Mary's motherhood isn't simultaneous with Jesus's sonship, when Jesus was con- conceived in the flesh, right? So, so in order to be mother or father, you don't have to come before the child. So when, when Jesus was born of the flesh, Mary becomes the mother of God, the mother of the second person of the Trinity, because Jesus is the whole a whole person. Mary's the mother of Jesus's, uh, you know, this is like hard to talk about. I'm going to end up being a heretic without even knowing it here. Um, but when, when we dig into this mystery of Mary's motherhood of Jesus, we're, we're confronted with the mystery of the incarnation. And this is what the early church was really trying to dig into here. That, that by proclaiming Mary as the, the mother of, of Jesus and the mother of God, it was proclaiming the, 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 the single personhood of the person of Jesus Christ. One person, one divine person who has a human nature 
and the divine nature. And by, by doing this then, the, the church was actually upholding Jesus' divinity. That if Mary is, is the mother of God, there's no part of Jesus that isn't divine. So some of these ancient heresies, for example, might teach something like this, that Mary was the mother of Jesus' body, or just the mother of Jesus' human nature, or that Jesus didn't really take on a human nature. There was sort of a, a projection of a human body, and Jesus was still in heaven with the Father, controlling it with like a divine joystick or something. So Jesus, so Mary just sort of like was the vessel by which God created this machine that God controlled from heaven with a remote control, right? There's this way that, that people tried to separate um, the divine from Jesus's body. And all of these ancient heresies are, are overcome by this proclamation of the Theotokos, right? Mary's motherhood anchors us in the imminence of God. Remember what the catechism said? That there's the, the fatherhood is this emphasis on transcendence. The motherhood is the emphasis on imminence. And, and by, by discovering this deep mystery of Mary's motherhood, we're anchored in God's imminence that he's not far away. The closer we are to Mary, the closer we are to Jesus. And all true Marian devotion brings us to Jesus through Mary. So the emphasis of the church on Marian devotion throughout time is, is this, this balance of, of holding on to God's closeness to us, God's intimacy to us, God's love for us, the fact that God never forgets us, that he, he, he stays close through it all. All right, the Catechism in paragraph 501 uh, then talks about how Mary is also all of our mothers. This is what it says. It says, Jesus is Mary's only son, but her spiritual motherhood extends to all men whom indeed he can, came to save. It says, the son whom God brought forth is him whom God placed as the firstborn among many brethren, that is, the faithful, in whose generation and formation she cooperates with a mother's love. Because she's cooperating with God's, um, with God's formation of us with a mother's love. So this goes back to the Gospel of John. When Jesus is on the cross, there's this scene where it talks about Mary and these other women being at the cross. And then it says the beloved disciple is there, John. And there's this beautiful conversation where Jesus says to John that Mary is now his mother. And then to Mary that, that John is now her son. There's a very practical thing happening here, right? In the ancient world, Mary as her husband being dead, she's a widow. And now as her only son being dead, the question is whose home will she live in? Right? So there's something very human happening here. But the scripture isn't flat like that. We don't come to one understanding of the scripture and say, well, we got it all figured out now. No, the scripture's deep. It, re- it, it reflects God's own nature. So, so every, uh, every explanation of the scripture that doesn't contradict the orthodox explanations that come before it can be admitted, and that's the richness of the text. So in this scripture, John is presented to us as the beloved disciple. And this, uh, these images in the Gospel of John where, where we're being confronted with this topic, the beloved disciple is in a way an invitation to place ourselves in the story. right? Because I'm a beloved disciple too. You're a beloved disciple too. So Jesus saying these words to the Apostle John is also Jesus saying these words to all of us. 
It's an invitation to take Mary into our home and to take Mary on as our own mother. And by receiving Mary into our home, we're also receiving Jesus into our home because it's in Mary that Jesus is conceived and takes flesh. And simply in our bodies, Jesus is meant to be conceived spiritually and take flesh by our own actions and then by the love of the parent for the child. So Mary's motherhood connects us to to Jesus's imminence in our lives and then invites us to receive uh, the Lord into our homes as she and Joseph received him into theirs. Let's uh, talk a little bit now more about the church's motherhood. This is paragraph 169 of the Catechism. It says, Salvation comes from God alone, but because we receive the the life of faith through the church, she is our mother. We believe the church as the mother of our new birth, and not in the church as if she were the author of our salvation. Because she is our mother, she is also our teacher in the faith. She's also our teacher in the faith. So there's this uh, reciprocal relationship between uh, God's divinity in the Godhead and the church as the mother. And there's this fecund relationship, right? This um, in, in Ephesians 5, it talks about husband and wife be as, um, be as, a, uh, be as Christ is to the church, right? There's this nuptial relationship between God and the church that bears forth spiritual life. And the primary fruit of this is the, the sacraments. The sacraments are the, uh, always done in an ecclesial act, right, where the church is present and the, the bride, where the, the, the church is the bride and then the minister is the, the representative of the Godhead in persona Christi. Um, so then it's in that, that relationship of Christ and the church that grace is brought into the world. But there's a special way that the church is our teacher. And why is the church in a special way our teacher? I would propose because the, the church is, is the prolongment of the incarnation. The, the, the church is an incarnational reality. It's a way that God continues to have skin on throughout time. It's a way that God continues to work in the world, to have hands and feet. So we as humans, our particular human nature, we're meant to experience the world through our senses. So I don't just learn by collecting ideas. Education isn't a purely spiritual activity. Uh, I, I learn by experiencing people doing things that incarnate the ideas that I understand. So in order for our formation to be hylomorphic, to be body and soul, right? This is, this is the experience of not just knowing the ideas, but seeing it lived out, being, being taught by example, and then, then having a context to do it in ourselves. And the church is this place where we experience we experience the doctrines, where the doctrines of our church are, are enfleshed uh, in the liturgical action of the church, in the bodies of the church's ministers, in the church's work in the world, in the church's evangelization and service in the world, but then also then in the domestic church, which is the term that our church provides us for our homes, for the family, that the family is the domestic church. So there's this, this way that, that our Experience with God is more rich and more full because God comes to us with a body and then gave us a church to prolong the experience of his body. This is paragraph 171. It says, The church is the pillar and bulwark of the truth, faithfully guards the faith which once for all delivered 
was delivered to the saints, she guards the memory of Christ's words. It is she who from generation to generation hands on the apostles' confession of faith. As a mother who teaches her children to speak, and so to understand and communicate, the church our mother teaches us the language of faith in order to introduce us to the understanding and the life of faith. Teaches us the language of faith. You know, when I hear that, that term, I can't help but think of Pope St. John Paul II's concept of the language of the body. Uh, we could say something like this, uh, and this is kind of a theoretical idea, so it's not a doctrine, but the, the continuation of, of the language of God's body is the church. So, so that the, the church continues to, to speak her doctrines through the, her actions. So, so the, the church is the pillar and bulwark, right? She, she guards the deposit of the faith, and this is carried out in a very practical way by her prophetic mission. So this is particularly the, the Pope's charism of infallibility, but then also the church's ongoing magisterium expressed by all of our bishops holding true to the, the, to the um, deposit of the faith. But then this is also meant to be expressed in the lived experience of faith. So by our, our parishes, by our churches, by the members and the ministers of it, incarnating the doctrines, living as if they're true. And, and, and then there's this, this way that this all works together. If we just continue to profess the doctrines without living them, we're in a place where the church will end up being in decline because people won't experience the truth of the faith in their bodies. Similarly, and an opposite thing is true too. If we just live out our faith without having clear doctrine and clear teaching, there's this way that people might be, be drawn to it, but they won't be formed by it. They won't be formed in the truth. So the, they'll sort of be, be given the raw material that their wills would need in order to live the faith out fully, but they won't be given the direction by the church's teaching to fulfill uh, that potentiality. So by, by receiving the faith both in in word and in deed, right, in the doctrines that are being um, guarded by Holy Mother Church, by the remembrance of her son throughout all time, but then also by her actions incarnating that message, we're given the sort of potential to live the faith and the actualization to live the faith. Uh, paragraph 181 of the Catechism says, Believing is an ecclesial act. The church's faith precedes, engenders, supports, and nourishes our faith. The church is the mother of all believers. No one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. That last part's a quote from St. Cyprian, a doctor of the church. No one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. You could spend like the rest of your life thinking about that phrase. Uh, but it's, it's beautiful. Uh, so as we... Maybe as you're thinking about living your own faith of entering more deeply into the mysteries, just ponder not only how can I like learn about the church, because like, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on a podcast, right, you're getting that sort of head knowledge side and you're having some experience of me as a person. I'm a person in the church, so my voice is part of my incarnational reality, but you need more than just to hear somebody's voice to live the faith, right? So just having these ideas isn't going to help you become the person God is called, calling you to be. You also have to experience the faith lived, and this happens in a church, in a parish. And this is one of the issues going on in the church today. We have a lot of people who sort of have a lot of ideas about how things should be, but they don't have a home to belong to. They can't find a church that corresponds to their sort of over-idealized vision of the faith that they have in their head. 
So people jump around from church to church, and then they they sort of like judge the parish based on all this stuff that they learned from these talking heads on the internet. <laughs> uh, but what we end up then is with the people with a bunch of good ideas about the faith who aren't able to actualize them in their day-to-day lives. And then there's a, a, that growing space between what you believe in your head and what you're able to do with your heart. Um, so, so this is where we, we, the rubber needs to hit the road, and we need to experience the immense of God by being a part of a community that, although isn't perfect, is a place where the doctrines of the church are incarnated and God's love is experienced. All right, let's switch gears. I don't want to get too preachy about church stuff. Um, so this is what uh, Alice von Hildebrand had to say. She was the 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 late wife of uh, Dietrich von Hildebrand, one of the greatest philosophers of the 21st century. She says, a, a woman by her very nature is maternal. For every woman, whether married or unmarried, is called upon to be a biological, psychological, or spiritual mother. She knows intuitively that to give, to nurture, to care for others, to suffer with and for them, for maternity implies suffering, is infinitely more valuable in God's sight than to conquer nations and to fly to the moon. Uh, So let's break this down. A woman by her very nature is maternal. This is challenging because so much of our culture is a rejection of motherhood, right? This encouragement of, of, um, of women to sort of take on their, their full portion as human beings, not by becoming more and more truly woman, but to take on the forms of life that are, are, um, have been uh, historically emphasized by men. So there's this way that our, our culture, um, and this is sort of all false forms of feminism, um, are, are a way to try to, to pull women into equality with men by making women more like men. True feminism, what John Poltekin described as the feminine genius, is, is the call to equality, the recognition of, of the reciprocity of the, of the sexes, by calling women to be truly and fully women. And part of womanhood is motherhood. Part of womanhood is motherhood. Uh, and, but this call to motherhood isn't to say that motherhood is just the biological reality of having a child conceived in your womb and to, to have that child come out of you and then to raise that child, right? right? That's, uh, that's motherhood in, in, in like a very limited biological reductionistic sense. All true motherhood is spiritual motherhood. All true motherhood is spiritual motherhood. Just to bring a body into existence in your own body doesn't exhaust the meaning of what to be a mother is. It's certainly a very important expression of it. But every mother is called to also be a spiritual mother. A biological mother is also called to be a spiritual mother of her children. And there are women whom either can't or choose not to have children, and then for whatever reason might also not adopt their children or might make vows of, of in their life that preclude being a, a physical mother, right? that live out this spiritual motherhood without also being a biological mother. And I'm being very careful with my terms here because I think all motherhood is hylomorphic, meaning all motherhood is both physical and spiritual. 
So sometimes I think we make a false distinction between physical motherhood and spiritual motherhood. Like spiritual motherhood is what the nuns do. Physical motherhood is what the people who have babies do. And this is, this is a false dichotomy. To be human person is to be hylomorphic. And every true hum, human action is a physical and spiritual action. So you, we might make a better distinction between, um, between biological motherhood and hylomorphic motherhood. And, and, and even like a distinction between natural and supernatural breaks down. Because even a nun is both a natural and a supernatural mother, right? Because what, what is the essence of motherhood? What's the deepest meaning of this expression? It's found in God's motherhood. Not that we're going to start making that a prayer, right? Remember what we said earlier about all the distinct, uh, distinctions in that term of what God's motherhood is. But, but this emphasis on eminence, on, on teaching, on, on growing, on being a place where somebody rests, right? There's this, this deep uh, maternal reality to heaven. And watching my, my wife's motherhood, there's this way that my, my son rests in my wife. That's a, a real prefigurement of heaven. You know, when he, when he sits on her lap, when, when he breastfeeds at her bosom, right? There's this, this way that like, it's not going to be any better to, than that till he gets to heaven. <laughs> like there's this, there's this way that like our, our life starts with this very powerful prefigurement of the rest in heaven in our mother's body. So all motherhood is, is, is kind of pointing to this deeper reality, uh, is, is sort of a sacramental expression of this deeper reality. So in a, in a real way, a, a nun is also a physical mother. Maybe not, not a biological mother, but also a physical mother, because her body is also communicating that truth to her spiritual children or supernatural children or, or hylomorphic children, whatever term you want to use. The language, language kind of falls apart when we're getting this deep into the distinctions, right? Because, because think, think of it, in the body of the nun, like we're, we're being pointed where? We're being pointed to heaven. Some uh, become eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. The, the body of the celibate, the language of the body of the celibate points us toward our ultimate destiny in heaven. And, and that's the very same thing that the, the mother of the infant is doing when she's breastfeeding. There's this, this prefigure, powerful prefigurement of heaven there. She's, she's configuring the child's body to, to want that again. <laughs> and that's the, part of our biological desire for heaven. Um, and then we can say the converse to all biological motherhood also has to be spiritual motherhood. And then any way that we disfigure the face of fatherhood and motherhood, it's because we, we fail in this deep calling also to be spiritual mothers and fathers to our children, right? Just to, to, to get them into the world and to give them enough calories and enough shelter that they don't die. Like that's not what it takes to qualify to be a good parent, right? It's this call to this deeper kind of parenthood the spiritual parenthood or supernatural parenthood that we're called to in the faith. All right, I'm going to stop there before I end up being a heretic. I might have already ended up there this episode. Uh, so if I have, please let me know in the comments or in a direct email or a, con- or a note on any social media platform. Uh, but hopefully this, this sort of uh, uh, delving into this deep mystery of motherhood sort of gives you a sense of the richness of this topic. Now, in the next few episodes, there's going to be a group, different women on the show of different states of life, religious sisters, a mother with young children, a mother with older children, 
uh, and this is going to be kind of in fleshing out this mystery, making it imminent, making it make sense to you uh, in the midst of, of this kind of exploration of the deeper mystery that's been a part of this episode. But thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening to or watching Physically Spiritual. I'm so grateful for every moment you've given to this show. Please remember to subscribe, like, follow, and share the show. And if you want to support everything we're doing at Physically Spiritual or at Awaken Catholic, you can become a patron of the show at physicallyspiritual.com. To find anything I'm up to, head over to becominggift.com. God bless everyone.